Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal, love. This is Love Conquers Alls, a real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And now, here are your hosts, Susie Singer-Carter and me, Don Priest. Hello, everybody. This is Susie Singer-Carter. And I'm Don Priest. And, and this is... What is it? Love Conquers Alls. It's Love Conquers Alls. Love does conquer alls. Yep, yep. It's still COVID. It's not still Trump. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) We're all a little hungover. (laughs) We had a bit of a celebration last night. (laughs) Yeah. Well, half of it, half of the country. Yeah. I mean, look. (laughs) This is not a political show. Not at all. Not at all. And we we accept talk about shopping, dancing, and caregivers. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And no matter who you vote for, all of those things are important. So all of those things. And it doesn't matter who you voted for. If you're a caregiver, you're you're going through the same things that I have gone through, that John's gone through, that our next awesome guest has gone through. Yes. I'm talking about this woman, Trish Lobb. And- yes, Trish is, uh, she's an amazing person. She's an expert on living with dementia and navigating the crazy maze of care options and decisions for dignified care throughout life. And that is so important. It's so uh, important. Her ex- yes, her Gosh. expertise is derived from the fact that she, um, she did full-time care for her parents, uh, one of which who had Alzheimer's. And she delivered the care and end of life um, experience. I don't want to say experience, just the care and end of life that they desired. It was a journey. Yeah. Um, She has her award-winning book series called Comfort in Their Journey, A Most Meaningful Life, Peaceful Endings, and Through the Rabbit Hole. And they provide a clear and concise and accessible information that, uh, that she wishes had been available to her. Which um, I wish I had known about. Yeah. And we yes. cannot wait to hear about all yes. of that. But there wait, there's more. There's more. There's How could there be more? There is more because she's right. amazing because she's like, who runs the world? <laughs> Girl. That's all I can do or we get charged, right? Yeah, um, she she ha- also has a background and she has a, 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 a love for dance, Dawn. Hello. Uh-oh. Yep. Well, yep. She I know why you brought spent, her on Okay, then. so listen to this. She spent 18 years. As a as a developing computer systems, what? Psh, right? She's smart. She's yeah, smart. she's pretty smart. Pretty <laughs> smart. Again, pretty smart women, right? And yep. then she went on to to co-found the National Dance Education Company and a national nonprofit prevention theater company for which focused on at-risk teens. I love her. I'm already in love with her. Right. You no, know, <laughs> because. Even if you're not a dancer, which I'm, I'm not officially a dancer. It, it, you know, music, dancing, the arts are the most therapeutic thing you can do. I mean, and we all know the power of music with someone with dementia and Alzheimer's. It's, it's yeah. one of the last tools in your arsenal when it comes to connection. So, um, and also, Don, you're gonna love this. She's huh. a freaking black belt instructor. Uh-huh. 
So of the Nia technique, which I don't know what a Nia technique is, but it sounds very, it sounds, it sounds sexy. I'm just saying. And then I, um, yeah. she, and she's been licensed since 1999. So, I mean, talk about well-rounded and diverse and, and a, and a kick-ass person, right? Heck yeah. Amazing. I mean, heck yeah. Anyway, kick-ass and, uh, bring her you on? know. And let's yeah, talk I think we, so we I don't think waste any time. Because we're just blurbling on. And I'm excited blurbling. to hear about. I I won't, always wanted to be a black belt or like, like what is it? Krav Maga? Krav Maga. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need that though. Because, you know, basically every time I walk by, you hit me in the head anyway. So Yeah. Well, you, well it, now you just flinch. Hurts. You flinch it a hurts. little. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You don't even have to do it anymore. So. Flinch, Dawn. <laughs> flinch. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I'm going to bring her on now. There she is. Trish, Hello. there you are. <laughs> you did it. You did it. I forgot you were a black belt. Good God, woman. <laughs> Thank well, you. it's a little different than a, a full martial arts black belt, but it's a black belt in this technique. Oh, well, I don't even know what that is. You have to you know, do tell. But first, I, w- I just want to thank you for coming and sharing and be, br- bringing your, um, your joyful perspective to our show because that's what we have been trying to continue that conversation and keep and make that make that the focus of dementia and alzheimer's right now until there's a cure so you know finding you is like just a little bit of of sunshine for us and and just love it like everything everything you stand for i was like yes yes we are we're we're kismet spirits you're kindred Kindred spirits, kismet spirits. That's so. Kis- well, that's yeah, gonna go. Fine. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. <laughs> well, we're ki- it's kismet that we met, and then yes. we're kindred spirits. I was yes. making a spoonerism. See, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about the the frivolous stuff first, which isn't frivolous. Like, tell us about the dance this dance company. I'm the dance making- company. Yeah. Oh gosh, for I've reinvented myself about every fifteen years or so. So I did the systems development thing, and then. Um, managed a dance studio. Just, I don't know, it just seemed like the thing to do. And the owner of it, and I decided that the kids came to the dance studio to learn technique, to learn their skills. But a lot of them, we'd hear over and over and over, they wanted to move to LA and become famous. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's an okay dream, but there's a lot that goes into it. And so we started a dance education company called Standing O Productions, and we did national um, dance conferences. And yes, we had very high level teachers teaching technique, but each and every one of them chose a focus in addition to that to talk to the kids about. You know, if you're going to just pick up and and go to LA, you probably need to have a plan. Nice. Oh, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Yeah. I just think it's fantastic because dance is so so therapeutic and so positive. You can't think of anything else when you're learning dance moves, but moving your body and what the next step is. And it really is like, I, it's like a, uh, um, it's, it's like meditation in, mo- in motion mm-hmm. for me. I find it. So it, I love that. That's wonderful. And then also you did, so tell us what the Nia technique is that you have a black belt in. The Nia technique's been around since 1983 and it was started by, um, a couple who, I mean, they're divorced now, but, um, the woman is still involved in it and she was like the aerobics champion in the universe, wow. not being sarcastic, being serious. <laughs> and the man was a tennis pro hmm. and they kind of met and the tennis pro said, why are you, it, she was doing high impact aerobics at the time. And she said, why are you just 
beating your body apart. Look at what the tennis players do. Um, you know, the beautiful long lines and everything. So they kind of, they set out to um, study nine different modalities, movement and healing arts. There's dance arts, um, martial arts and healing arts and mm. all incorporated into this. And it's an hour long class, mind body. So there's a focus and an intention and it's all different kinds of movement. It's designed to be done barefoot. Uh, it doesn't have to be if somebody doesn't like that. So it's like but Pilates in a way, or kind it's of, in the same yeah. kind of family. It's it's, but it's to move. It's movement. It's movement. Some people right. call it a dance class. Um, it is dance based, I guess I would say, but that uh -huh. scares some people. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I can't sequence. I say step touch. Then I don't care what you do. Yes, exactly. And it's yeah. about moving safely. You say you're a computer science geek. What what? Yeah. What is what is that, and and how 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 can you be a geek about it? What tell us? Well, about I mean, you know, we all think people that are in tech are. I mean, come on, you gotta be a little geeky to be into ones and zeros. But think about it. I'm a dinosaur. I graduated a long time ago, seventy nine. Age is just a number to me. <laughs> and I mean, when I was in college, we didn't have monitors. We had punch cards. You dropped your card deck. You might as well just leave school. Mm. I mean, you know, you have a 2000 card deck, you didn't bother to number anything. It's a kind of over. <laughs> uh, but so I'm way back from archaic days working on mainframes. But the school that I went to had a systems analysis and design degree, which is, you know, different. It's inclusive of programming and coding, but it also um, prepared us to work with the end users and look at creative solutions. Of course it did. Of course it did. All of that. That's because you're a woman. But it wasn't until recently I looked back at my past and went, oh my gosh, every single thing I did allowed me to do Comfort and Journey. I didn't plan that. Right. So all the computer work allowed me to look at both of my parents within six months of each other went into medical crisis unexpectedly. Right. And we had this, I don't even know what word to use, challenge, I guess it would be the word. Mm -hmm. But... I, I see everything in the world as a system or a process. So I was able to go, okay, this is what we need to do. It goes over here and this needs to go over here and these people need to do that. So it was almost like I could see what needed to happen with. Right. You compartmentalized it. You, yeah. you used your logic as opposed to being led by your emotions, which is what I did, which is a really, a, a, it's a recipe for disaster. When you're, well, I think we use what we what we've got. We have our, we use our tools, you know, and that that's why we are all out there now. Yes, trying to help others have more tools. Caution. And that's what you you consider that uh, you say a creative analyst or practical artist. Those are all the things. Those that's what you became because of that. And that yeah. you know, I was I was looking when you when you said that's what you. I was like, what what are those things? But now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. Very much, you know, the dance is not professionally, recreationally, but it's always since the time I was tiny been a part of my life in the creative arts. And then yet you have this computer geek on the other side. Mm -hmm. Put them together. I, I don't know that a lot of people really understand that one of the very many benefits for professional dancers or kids going through recreational training dancing is that it's creative problem solving. They have to feel, you know, it blew my mind the day I heard that there was um, I think they call it retrograde, where a dancer's taught a sequence and then they're supposed to reverse it. That is amazing mm -hmm. problem solving. 
Amazing. Oh, the first I've time never- I saw a dancer do that, I was like, what? Wow. wow. That's so <laughs> it's, you know, dance is, is, is fun and it's an art and all of these things, but it, what it does for your brain and for creative problem solving is amazing. It, it, it really is. It's something mm-hmm. like, and I miss it so much during this, this time that we're having to social distance. And I, yeah. I can't tell you cause I, I am, it was, it was a, a must do appointment for me every week, you know, three, three times a week at least. And it's, it, it, it kept it keeps me sane and it keeps my mind so so engaged yeah. because you you know and you're learning a new routine like you said a sequence every time and you're and you and you really see your progress like at first i was so overwhelmed like i'll never get this and I, honestly every new choreograph choreographed um dance every single time he lays it out our teacher i'll go i'm not going to get that it's too hard and then all your brain my brain just kicks in and goes, you got this. And it's amazing how uh, my brain, how much better I've gotten at just memorizing the the sequences Mm -hmm. and quick, quickly. So it is, it's really important to do those kinds of things. And I think, you know, any like music is a great, uh, it's a, it's a great platform for learning. I mean, we do it with children, with music. It, it, it stays, it sticks better goes into your hippocampus. <laughs> it's one of the few things that actually activates almost everything in the brain at the same time. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the um, New England Journal uh, of Medicine. They did a very large study and they studied a group of, I prefer to call them elders, um, biking, doing puzzles, reading, dancing, golfing, dance. People who dance three times a week, 76% less likely to have dementia. Yes. Wow. Everything else. I mean, there were benefits to doing certain other skills, mm-hmm. but unless the skill required you to learn something new in it each time, it caps out at its benefit. But dance? Mm-mm. See, that's yeah. so, and I know that instinctively. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I picked up piano and my family's all, we're all musical family and I am the one, probably the least, you know, uh, the least natural at it. I mean, I'm, I can do it. And I, I'm self-taught, but I have a piano and I've been, and I, and I make myself learn a new song. You know, as soon as I, mm-hmm. as soon as I conquer one song, I make myself learn a new one. And I always think, oh, this is, I'll never get it. The fingering's too fast, you know, and um, I get it. It takes me a while, but I conquer it. But that's also the same kind of thing where you have to use both hands and you're reading two lines at one time. It's pretty, it's intense, but it, you know, our brains are made for that. <laughs> you but can it's almost like it's, feel, yeah. I say you can always feel, almost feel the new neural pathways being created. So in the modality that I teach when I'm learning a new routine, you know, I take it in once I've learned it and my students are like, okay, she's got it. They don't see me fall in the family room while I'm learning it, right. or they don't see what I call the stutter when I've got to do something reverse, sometimes I can almost feel it go down my arm and stutter. Mm. That's that pathway going, okay, she wants me to go here, which I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I do too. So. That, that what you're talking about, that's a whole other subject. But I, I often like, I, would, I, I can get into a weird loop of just thinking how, how my brain, I think and it moves. And I, I just find that like yeah. overwhelming and yet fascinating at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can relate that to also, I mean, if, if as another way is like in exercise, if you did the same exercise every single day and never changed it, 
Absolutely. You plateau. You don't go any further. So you have to mix it up yeah, and do new and introduce new things. So it's it's exactly the same for muscles and then to the brain. Right. Because your brain goes on automatic to some extent. You know, it's got it. It's got absolutely, it filed. yeah, filed. Got that, and let's, and that's it. It's easy, so you're not challenging it, and you're not creating new, new, what, yeah. what, synapses. Neural, ex- neural experiences. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think there's a flip side to that too, because I think it's important to keep the new neural pathways being created. But one of the things I found so valuable with my dad was what I call cellular memory, and so <laughs> this one blew my mind. He is in the DU, um, my dad is in the DU um, Hall of Fame for both tennis and basketball. And he was self-taught in both of them. He played tennis at a championship level. And then tennis, he took, or I mean, sorry, basketball, he he took that team to the state back then. This is a long time ago. But so one day one of our caregivers came and she brought one of those kind of kids orange rubber balls. Mm-hmm. You know, you get them at Kmart and Target and all over. And I thought, oh, there's no way my dad's going to play catch. Shame on me. Uh-huh. So she threw it to him. And his, he didn't even like prepare. He just went and caught it. And he threw it back. And the third time, he starts looping it through his legs around him like. Like he never, like it was. We just sat there with our mouths open. Like, what is going on here? It's beautiful. Yeah. I, 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 I've shared this story a couple of times, but uh, when my mom was at another facility when she was less progressed and we, you know, music was a big deal and there was, and I got really close as my friends did when we go visit my mom with all, with a lot of the other um, residents there. And one of them was, her name was Ruth and she was nonverbal, but she was lovely. And by the way, she was a dancer and she had a private uh, caregiver with her every day. And I just, I just loved her spirit. And I would look at her and I'd go, I see you, Ruth. How you doing? I hear you're a dancer, but I want to see it. You know, I don't, I don't believe it. And she'd always go, you know, does she make this face that she was just like, and she, but she loved when we came because we'd always, you know, we'd be very, you know, a lot of energy. And so, and we'd always sing. And so she was sitting at the table one day with us when I started singing, we were singing Beatles tunes and I'm singing yesterday. And she starts singing along every word. And, and for a second, nobody did anything. And then we all looked at her and went, Ruth, you're singing. She goes, yeah, of course. And, and her caregiver hadn't heard her be vocal in years because I guess they didn't sing. And she was just like, like, it was like duck off a water, water off a duck's Mm -hmm. back, you know? No thought. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was just like blown away. And I know my mother was a professional singer. And so I know that very much how that has been our key to connection it, it, it is the way I open the doors now, even on Zoom, which I have to Zoom with her now during COVID. And, and sometimes it's very difficult to connect at all. And so bring on the songs, bring yeah. on the girls. Oh, absolutely. But let's, let's take this around full circle. So all of this education and experience and everything you're going along and all of a sudden you are throwing a massive curveball, And that is the, what what occurred with your parents mm-hmm. and suddenly you have to I, i'm sure caregiving was not part of your education up to that point but not really <laughs> no. <laughs> but now you have all of this diverse knowledge how did that come in when when this first came about how did you start implementing that and i'm sure it wasn't planned you just did and how did that come about um 
you know, my short version, my husband and I moved from Chicago to Denver and 48 hours later, my dad went into medical crisis, which anyone who's worked with somebody who is living with dementia or Alzheimer's um, knows that the littlest thing, a cold can sell it, send them into full board, you know, tilt. Yep. So that happened and I was out of the um, country and came back. I was visiting my daughter and we came back and um, it started 63 days of sheer hell. He was mismedicated, overmedicated. Mm. Um, he almost died four times in those 63 mm. days. And so we were initiated. So I, I should pause that for a second. My parents had done estate planning. God bless them. My mom had overseen my dad's Alzheimer's for years and didn't tell us. Oh. She was still overseeing his care, you know, his safety. Um, and one of my sisters and I um, did seven 24-7 and then tagged in or out 24-7. And then by that time, it was the end of the summer and we decided we needed to tell my mom that she needed to get a caregiver in because we were beat. Yeah. And we kind of drifted a couple months. And then my mom went into medical crisis and everything broke open, like we had two people, my dad with Alzheimer's. So his, his issues were largely cognitive. Right. My mom's issues. Um, now both of them hit medical crisis at 90. So they did really well. Wow. Yeah. Alzheimer's very had pretty much been a non-issue prior. Yes. Um, very healthy people. My mom, the night, the morning we took her to the hospital, she had 14 life-threatening things overnight. So we had to do quarantines. We, within two months, we had to build a, we had a caregiving team of nine people on the schedule in a week. Oh my One goodness. sister and I were on that. So I'll help. Did brokers. you create that and, schedule? Was that a schedule you created? Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I was responsible for their daily care yes. and their medical care. Now, when I say I was responsible for that, I was primary. Yes. I have two sisters and they kept informed. And there were those days where I'd walk in, they go, oh, you're going home. I got this. Mm -hmm. um, you can't say sentences. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so my sisters very much were a part of all of that process, but I, that was my main responsibility. So I oversaw the caregiving team. Um, they also took care of insurance, uh, legal, medical, or financial rather. But I don't know. I, it wasn't a conscious thought. I just thought, oh my gosh, we need the system of binders and we need to have notebooks for this and we need to label that and we need to have an emergency book. And all this stuff was very reactive. Sure. We had daily log sheets. And then we would, then we, had, we started out with just one shift of caregivers and then each parent needed caregivers. Mm -hmm. So then we had to do turnover sheets. It was an evolutionary thing. Although there was a point, they lived about 10 minutes away from me. And there was a day I was driving and I thought to myself, this is so unrealistic. Like this is, this cannot be happening. I, I really had a moment's thought that went through, you are supposed to learn how to do this. Right. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it, <laughs> right. but we had, by the time we were done with two and a half years, we had forms and logs and sheets and systems of organizing stuff and just out of survival. Sure. And so, you know, it just, it, I think be, having been a project manager helped me oversee a group of people. Mm -hmm. And I also think that when you do that, because I also got as as organized as possible. I had yeah. notebooks, and I had, you know, I had a a system. 
And I think, you know, it, it's it's that thing of being able to control what you can control because the, everything else about that disease is uncontrollable. And, you know, and I, and I tell the story a lot, but I, when my mom was diagnosed, I said to her, don't worry about this. We've got it. I'm, I was going to talk her out of it. We're going to get rid of it because that's, you know, we're that close. It's going to happen. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Other people, they just, they're, they're not close. That's why. Mm-hmm. You know, but so you start realizing how much of denial you are. And so you want to control what you can to make it. You the have best. to, especially when yeah. we had two people and my mom was pretty sick. Yeah. And then she ended up having stage four cancer. So, but even prior to that, I won't go into all the details, but she had um, a bug that required, we had to come up with really, really strict protocols. My gosh. Um, we, cause we had nine people in and out on, you know, caregivers. We had probably 15 family members coming in and out. My mom and my dad, we didn't even have them stay in the same room because heaven forbid if my dad, you know, right. what my mom had, the ship would have sunk. So <laughs> it was, it, let's just say it was festive. Uh, and did, and, and let, can I ask you about the emotional side of it? Cause I, obviously you're very good at the, at, you know, handling all of the, uh, the structure and, 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 yeah. you know, the, the logistics, the logistics, yeah. 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 But there, there's a huge emotional mm-hmm. component when it's your parents, and how you know, and trying to, and whether or not you repress it or keep it down because you know that you know you have to, you have to be there, you have to show up, mm-hmm. but you also need to show up for yourself, right? Because if you don't, yeah. I mean, it's very for me. I know, and I'm sure for I, mean, I know. I talk to a lot of people about it, and it's so emotional to to watch a parent exit a room backwards, you know, it's really difficult to, to watch that. And when you love them so much and there's nothing you can do. So the only thing you can do is love them and take care of them as best as you can. There's your bottom line right there. Yep. There's your bottom line. I think, you know, the emotional side to me is very much for me connected to the mental side and the mental side is all about perspective. Right. And so two things, there's kind of two pieces of that. If I can address them. One is in regard to parents aging. I, for me, there were like two switches that flipped and one was in regard to that. And I wanted so badly for them to do everything on their terms that it, that if that meant for me that they had to leave, I was okay with that. Mm. I wanted more for them than I wanted for me. Mm -hmm. I wanted them. And when I mentioned that, there were four times and I'm not, I'm serious where my dad nearly died due to error and we caught it. I was bound and determined that he was not going to leave this planet due to error. He was going to leave it on his own terms. And so was my mom and my, I, I had one like prayer, please don't take my mother before my father. Cause that would have just crushed him yeah. to not have the love of his life there. Um, I could not have explained 52,000 times why mom wasn't there. I say, I would do anything, universe, whoever, whatever's out there, I will do it. Just don't take her first. Mm -hmm. And so I think I wanted more for them to not, to end with the dignity that they wanted, that if it meant I, I mean, everybody, we all got to go. We do. Mm -hmm. But the other big thing I think for me, and it was like, boom, it wasn't a thought process. My mom told me about my dad being treated for Alzheimer's. And it was like my body shifted into this other place of this is not going to define him. This is not going to be who he is. 
And it was automatic, this visceral protective thing happened. And I was like, you know what? He's got Alzheimer's. He could have cancer. He could have diabetes. Not to minimize it at all. I don't mean that at all. But it wasn't going to be who he is. Blow. No. I wasn't going to let that happen. And for that reason, I never even really looked into the stigma. I didn't know that much about it. And that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. And that all that is all under that dignified care yeah. component that is maybe maybe the most important <laughs> thing when it comes down to it. Because if you talk about quality of life or is is they all want their dignity that it's the one thing they fight for probably more than anything and to be able to to navigate your decisions to to ensure that is so important for me it's quality over quantity like yes. I, yeah, yes. yeah right you <laughs> yes. don't i try to explain that to my family members because it's like i don't I really want her to be enjoying the life that she can enjoy. Whatever stage she's at, let's let her enjoy it. If, 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 if she can't talk now and it's music, let's get her, have her with the best music. And let's have her, if, she, if eating is one of her greatest joys right now, then she let her eat everything her and eat. anything she wants. <laughs> yes. And let's do it. Let's go get C's, you know, butterscotch squares and just load her up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, my mom was officially put on that eat whatever the hell you want diet uh -huh. by multiple doctors. But the problem is her daughter. <laughs> so yeah. um, we had some recovery to do after the fact. She wanted Christmas cookies for lunch one day and we had Christmas cookies for lunch. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I've been there but too. But isn't that what it's about? I mean, to just yes. exist, to just exist. What's um, the point? For those, yeah, There's no like, point. Oh, if we, and that, that comes down to financial decisions too. Yeah. That comes yeah. down to like where, how and where should the money be spent? If it's like, oh, well, you know, the money will run out in five years. So let's keep her, so let's have her be miserable for the next right. five Wait, years. What's the point? Just to make it, it what is the point of that? You know, and, and those are difficult decisions to make. They well, really, you, yeah, I'm sorry. You go on. something I think is important. And again, it just happened. It was in looking back that I realized it. We had a philosophy. Our families always had philosophies. You know, the golden rule, um, just be a good person. Right. And a goal. And the goal is quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And then it was about creating a strategy to get to the goal using the philosophy. So we actually shared that with our caregivers. And we said, these, you got to question your mind what we want you to do. Right here's your answer. Mm -hmm. It's what about quality. <laughs> after, you know, about a year into this, one of my dear friends in Illinois called me. And, you know, we're the kind of friends you can say anything to and call on anything. And she said to me, Trish, what are you doing? I said, what are we talking about? She's like, what are you doing with your dad? Why are you prolonging his life? And it was like this light bulb went off. I said, oh, excuse me. I don't think I explained this well. I don't get to choose when he leaves. But I do get to determine whether he has quality or not. Yeah. 
So I'm not doing these things as life extensions. I'm doing them to keep the quality in his life. Yeah. I adore you. Exactly. That's exactly. Oh, I know. You guys yeah. are like kindred spirits. I love this. I know. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's so true. And, and to try to explain that to people that don't have that perspective is very difficult to bring them over to that side. Right. We went, we had 17 caregivers in 18 months. It was a process to find what we call the dream team. And I'm, mm-hmm. they're still part of my family. I talk to most of them pretty regularly. You can't let people into your life that deeply and then go bye. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> um, but some of the ones that were not a good fit, I would say, ask yourself, would you want someone to do to you what you just started to do to this, to somebody I care about? You know, so it's about just, I, I think that caregiving is a phenomenal opportunity to find out exactly what you're made out of, yep. what you believe in, what you're willing to do. Yep. I have people say to me, well, how can you put your life on hold? I said, this is my life. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. Not hold. Yes. That's this right. Is what I do. This is what I choose. Yep. It's so crazy. <laughs> my 16 year old daughter, when I moved my, my mom in with us after my divorce and I had so many friends say, why are you doing that? You're going to move your mom in with your daughter. That's going to be so difficult for her. Who, for who my mom or the, my daughter for your, for, for your daughter. And I was like, what? It didn't even dawn on me that that would be that, that I was doing something wrong. I remember asking my doctor who, one of my doctors who I became friendly with and we were chatting and I said, am I, am I not, am I ruining my daughter's life? Is this not good? I mean, I know it's difficult to have somebody with Alzheimer's, especially at the stage she was at. And she said, are, uh, no, it's the opposite. Your role, you're modeling what life yes. is that is life. You're showing her how to love. You're showing her how to be a family. Uh, does she, does what, does she need to have more time at the mall? That's better. Like what, I, what? And at the end of the year, and it was a hard year, my daughter said, mom, I'm not ready for nanny to go. Yeah. And that's- I think, you know, each of my nieces and nephews, um, my daughter, each of the people in my family, we were very, very fortunate because everybody but my daughter lived here. They got invaluable things yep. out of interacting with my dad. It's, it was also kind of really interesting because some family members struggled with it. Mm-hmm. Some just, some, it was almost always the opposite of what I thought it was going to be. I think, oh, this person would be really good at it. They were really uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I learned things about my husband they got into this thing where my dad loved to have my husband or any of the son-in-laws use an electric razor on his face. So I would watch my dad and my husband. <laughs> my husband was so careful with them. And oh, it's so, so sweet. sweet. That is so sweet. So sweet. And so touching. One of the things <laughs> I say is that I started that process at 54, I think. 54 is the number that sticks in my mind. It was more challenging than everything collective mm-hmm. in those 54 years. I got divorced twice. I had, I was a single mom. I mean, it was, there were some challenges during that time. So that's mm-hmm. not an easy statement, but it was the most rewarding mm-hmm. because if you're present in any capacity, it doesn't mean you have to be physically present, but if you're fortunate enough to be physically present and in that trench, you see things purely because you were there in that second. 
you know, I was there the last time my dad spoke and he said something of relevance to each of my fam my sisters and my mom. And I mean, which said he knew exactly who we were. Had yeah. I been anywhere else, I would not have gotten that. And that to me, maybe that one moment is all worth it. Yes. And, and those stick with, those stay with you forever. Oh, I mean, those, my daughter that, and I were talking yesterday um, she had a baby a year ago and um, we, we got to bring the baby to meet my mom uh, before COVID, right? So we brought her and my, and my daughter and my mom have a very special bond. They really, like they, they had a real thing going. And so she was so grateful that, because her other grandmother passed away two years ago. So when we brought her to her, we have it on film and, and my mom was really not as verbal as, or very much at all. She still isn't. I mean, we have to work to get it up, but she will every once in a while. She goes, God damn, you're pretty. She'll say something like that. <laughs> Out of oh, nowhere. Sweet. Literally could sit there for an hour and not say a word. And, and then, then she'll go, just... I love you. From, and it's, oh, those are those moments. Yes. She's just, and I, oh, I cry. You don't even know. And she knows Dawn forever and she'll just go, how many times she says she loves you to you? Like a hundred. Yeah. She loves yeah. him so much. But my daughter brought this little teeny tiny baby. She was five pounds. And she said, Nanny, I've been dreaming of this moment to show you. This is your granddaughter. And my mom was in the wheelchair and she looks up and she goes, oh, gosh, damn it. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, people, people will I get say the chills not, every time. I, I, oh yeah, no, I have chills. It's not my story. Yeah. Um, people <laughs> will say so often to me that they, there's nobody in there. And I'm like, oh, I begged oh. it differ. Mm -hmm. it, I had a ritual and it took me a hot five seconds to connect with my dad. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We, we always say, you know, it's like some people will say, oh, why, why do you even bother going? They don't know. They can't remember. They this, you know, 10 seconds later you leave and they're not going to even know you're there. And we always say they don't remember here. They remember here. Oh, amen. And that's, you know, and that's more important. And folks, you, know, you can tell the difference, them. right? Don, Don used to go with me yeah. to, to assisted living all the time to visit my mom. Well, you still do when, whenever, when we used to be able yeah. to before COVID, but you know, you, you see the difference between the people that have family that visit them and the ones that don't, yes. there's a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. You, you absolutely see it. And, and it's not because they remember in their mind, it, it just goes into their soul. <laughs> that's right. And their memories are emotional. Their memories mm -hmm. become feelings. Yep. How, it, how something made them feel. Um, I have a question. It's kind of interesting oh, because okay. you know you also hear that they can't learn make new memories. My dad absolutely did. Yep. The bizarre thing was we had two identical twin. They were twenty three year old young men at that time who literally sat next to my dad's bed when he started to get up too much for the other caregiver. We had somebody sit at the side of the bed, and the young men would work on their computers or whatever. They were identical twins. Oh my! I struggled to tell them apart. And my dad knew them. He knew their names. They came in six months before he passed. So, you know, it's how they made him feel. They made mm -hmm. him feel valuable. Yeah. It's true. And it's like, you know, you'd only need to take a lesson from a, a baby who doesn't have their verbal skills. It's all visceral. It's all intention. Yeah. It comes from that. It comes from that. If a baby feels safe and loved and, you know, they are going to respond. Mm -hmm. And in the, you don't need language. It's a different kind of communication. Right. 
And it's the same thing. I'll look at my mom. Sometimes I won't even say anything. I go, I know, I gotcha. And she'll go, we, we just look talk. In their, look in their eyes, man. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're in there. I say and you'll see it. You'll see it switch on too. You'll yes. see, because there could be long periods of time where they're just kind of not there really. And then all of a sudden you see it click. And, yeah, because yeah, and, they're processing. Yeah. I, I learned this from when I went through a training for to be a volunteer and uh, for Alzheimer's. And this my greatest piece of information I took away is that give give somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia 20 seconds to think about what you've just yes. said to them, because it takes them longer to process it. And if you don't, if you go, oh, they're not really responding today. Well, now it's gone. And 20 seconds is a long time, too. It is a long time. Should we do that right now? Should we do that? Should we just, just so people know what 20 seconds is, literally? All right, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. 20 seconds. You ready? And go. That's it. Yeah. That's <laughs> the time for them to process. Yeah. And did, did, people, it feel, did it feel long? Because I'm looking at, I'm watching it. So it's, it, feels, it seemed interminable. <laughs> yeah. But you're so right. For everything, whether it's comprehension or execution, they need 20 seconds or more. Yeah. And, you know, Especially a kind of piggybacking onto that is the value of allowing people living with Alzheimer's to do as much as they can. My example of that is my dad had phenomenal motor skills, small motor skills. Mm -hmm. He could do buttons, he could do little stuff. And, you know, the caregiving world is a lot of it is so used to having to get this list of things done and then move on to the next person and get this list of things done. And we had in-home caregivers and they'd want to take over and do it. And I said, "Mm mm-mm. If it takes them 45 minutes, I'm good with that. What else do we got to be doing here? Yeah. We need to let him do what he can do and be successful. And the same thing is with speaking. You're paid for the whole day. Where else do you need to be, you know? Exactly. You and have to shift your, your perspective. And I love your what you say in, you know, with, with your book series, like thriving instead of just surviving. I love that, what you said. And, you know, your books, you have three of them. And I, I think that's an extraordinary feat because when you love somebody, like I love my mom, she's just such a force and I love her to death. It's hard to relive it. So writing a book, which mm-hmm. is hard anyway, it's a difficult feat to do three books and take all of your experience that you've been through is reliving it every, each time, each moment. How did you do that? And, and what was your motivation? Um, well, first of all, it wasn't really my choice. Um, Somewhere, you know, I moved to Denver. I knew my two sisters and their families and my parents. I thought, you know, we'd hang out, do family dinners for a couple years. Then maybe my parents might need some help. And it all kind of came, um, crashing down. And I knew two, I think I'd met two other people in Denver. I really didn't know anybody. And initially, somewhere about a year into this process, my financial planner, who was in Denver, called and said, hey, would you um, want to like write any of this down? I'm like, what? No. And then I started getting calls from people I didn't know. 
And apparently our caregivers had been telling people what we were doing and how we were doing it. Wow. And I actually had somebody call me and say, Hey, would you like to, would you do this for my family? I'm like, uh, drowning. No, nope. <laughs> don't mean to be rude, but, uh, not a chance. <laughs> And then more and more people would say to me, would you write books? And I'll, with the whole dance thing, I had written two books of a three book series. My, part, my business partner had written the first book. I didn't plan on doing that. Um, and I know how much work it was. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And then more and more people were asking me to do it. But you know, when my parents both passed, they passed eight months apart. My mom did wait for my dad to go first. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But I, to say that I was exhausted would be a gross understatement. Mm-hmm. Yep. I say that my husband was retired and I was just plain tired. Mm. So I spent three years trying to talk myself out of it. I, my, one of my high school friends put on a workshop about your next phase of life. What are you going to do? And I went with the express intention of putting a nail in the coffin, never talking about this again. And I walked out of there going, yeah, I'm going to be writing books. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it was an interesting thing to write books. Um, people have asked me, oh, did you go up to your office and write this topic? What would happen is they just, I started writing on June mm-hmm. 4th, I think of 2017, maybe, 2016. <laughs> 18 maybe I don't know anyway and I wrote 80% of one book I didn't know there were gonna be three 80% of one book about 60% of the other and 20% of the other in four months they just popped out I would come up and think oh I'm gonna write about this and that's not what got written it was like it just had this thing of its own happening I know that sounds crazy but if I just let the process do what it wanted on that day it just popped out and then I hit the wall and I couldn't write anymore. So I thought, okay, I'll design and put up my website. Okay, whatever. We'll do that. I did that for about two months. And then I went back to writing. So these books were written and published in 16 months, I think. And start to finish, boom, they just... That's crazy. <laughs> it was almost like my mind needed to do a brain dump because I was afraid yeah. I would forget. Yep. But you are right. I mean, the, the upside is it was cathartic. The downside yeah. was it was cathartic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but, I'm, yeah, I mean, I cried through writing entire chapters. Totally. Yeah. But that's, you know, to have it sitting in there and just staying in there is not healthy. No. Um, and I think it's something that because we've talked to other authors and, you know, we always ask, was this, was this for you? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or was it, you know, I mean, it can have multiple reasons, but. A lot of times I think it's, it's absolute the healthiest thing you could possibly do. Otherwise it just stays in there and it swims around. Yeah. And, and, and some of the most personal things that you don't want to share, like when I wrote my film, Don knew the story when my mom stopped in the middle of the night and recognized me for a second and went, because she was looking for her baby. Yes. And accusing me of, of stealing her baby and calling me all kinds of names. And she find all of a sudden in the moonlight, she saw my face and she said, my hair was up in a ponytail. Like when I was a baby and she said, Oh my God, you're my baby. Mm-hmm. You need to put me in a home. And I didn't want to put that in the movie because I thought, Oh, so, you know, that, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. That's been one of the best I, parts because it, it's, yeah. it's, it's resonated with so many people and it's all, and if it doesn't, it, 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 exemplifies the fact that, you know, it's a fluid disease and that 
They mm-hmm. are in there. Your parent, your husband, your wife, your sister, your brother, they're still there. Yeah. yeah. I think you helped me get like have a little epiphany right now because I watched the movie and I love it. And I even had said to my husband, I generally don't watch movies about people's experience with Alzheimer's. Right. I can't really explain to you why. They're always I, negative. They're maybe, always yeah, negative. <laughs> yeah. And I could, don't really have the language to say what that, what your movie did or made you meant to me. Although when I emailed you about it, I said it, it made me smile. And that seems kind of crazy, but it's just that, um, I, I don't know. It, it's important. And it, I mean, it took courage, a lot of courage for you to do that, but, the, but you're right. There's a collective story in there. Yes. And that it's going to be okay. And it is what it is. Sorry, but all of those things. And that's super important. You didn't try to sweep it under the carpet. Right. You shared it. Thank you. I mean, that's huge because, okay, there's good, bad, and ugly to it. And you didn't, there's something just so endearing about what you shared. And I really don't have the language for it yet, which rarely happens to me. Thank you. Well, that's, and that's the highest compliment I could get from you. Thank you so much. And another piece of it, I think you're helping me remember, realize all this. What I always said to my dad about my dad is that I watched all the unimportant stuff just kind of drift off of him. You know, he was the protector and sometimes he was angry about something and those things didn't have meaning anymore. And that was a good thing. So, you know, your mom walking across the street and with the three women and very different women per se. And, you know, it just, I don't know how she would have responded to that before, but it's always say there's my, there's my mom, you know, New Jersey, little Jewish mother from shopping at Chico's and has her Dooney and Burke bag on, you know, and (laughs) every bracelet and everything's good, but she's got her gold card. So, which, by the way, was it was a, a, a account that I had closed, but I gave it to her to use, right? So that she dignity. Had it. That's part of the dignity. dignity. It's dignity. Yeah. You dignity. don't take it away. You just no. make it safe. Make it safe. Yeah. Like with your dad, all the things that were not important melted away or melted faded away because they are in very much moment to moment at that yes. point. What's happening at that? exact moment well the social filters i say melt away that's why i love babies and older people because they say what they mean and they say what they see you know end of life i find fascinating because you just watch everything float away and you're i feel that you're actually looking at their soul and it's to me it's an amazing process now if you'd asked me you know 10 years ago if i thought i would be helping people transition, which I've done since my parents. I was, are you joking? But it's fascinating. It's, I mean, I think you, you know, you have the opportunity to watch a soul come in and you have an opportunity to watch a soul go. Right. And those are, I don't think you get any closer to a person than that. In, and I, in your books, I know you uh, you cover this, the, the the transition to the end of life. Well, I, I'm kind of joke and say I'm kind of the poster child for three things. Patient advocacy, um, palliative care, and hospice care. Wow. Palliative care is the umbrella, kind of like dimensions the umbrella, and then hospice is underneath it. But there are services. It's kind of like a double-named palliative care thing. But palliative care and hospice care are free services in our country. Mm-hmm. They're so underutilized. They're so misunderstood. They're not anything what people think. And they are there to make that transition smooth. Right. I believe they leave on, they push the button. 
Yes, I agree with you. And so I'm just there to assist. Um, We didn't stop taking care of them. Right. We continued to take care of them. Right. They still needed that that body. Exactly. Because they were going to decide. When it's yeah. exactly yeah. it's like with the directives with your medical directives for your parents you know i always say um resuscitate her so that i can make the decision for her as her advocate because right. i'll look into her eyes and i'll know if she's ready absolutely you know you asked what my motivation for doing the books was and the books are the basis for everything else i do it's kind of like i had to get it out of my head and once it was on paper i could kind of go Thank goodness. Because the, if I hadn't written the books, we would have been throwing away two and a half years of research. We used to, there were times where we would do a 24 or, or 30 hour awake shift and then research for eight more hours because we need, the next time I walked back into their house, I had to have the answer. You know, people, sometimes I'd walk into the hospital and a doctor would say, well, what did you decide? I said, what was the question? Hmm. Hello. Right. I, mean, I don't know. So um, the, the motivation was from other people to write it. But I have kind of my undertone threads of motivation. And one is to just smash the living daylights out of the stigma. It, that is the most harmful thing to people living with Alzheimer's. It's heinous. It is. It's not true. It's, it's systemic and it's yeah. also cultural. Yeah. What can we do as a society to, like, to really turn that around? What we're doing, and we're not the only ones out there doing it. The stigma is steeped in two things, fear and misuse of language. Yeah. Words matter. Words are everything. And so you choose to fight a fight. Okay, you may feel that way, but it might be a choice to say it's a challenge because challenge, challenge offers opportunity. A fight does not. Yeah. Say it again because you that's so beautiful. Well, it's the difference between saying I'm I'm in the fight of my life, and you may feel that way. I'm not negating how somebody feels. It's a consciousness, though. If you fight, you go into defense mode. You're you know, our bodies, when we fight, pull our energy into our core, and we are very, very sealed off. So how are we gonna help someone else? And if you're fighting, you're possibly looking, you want to win, but you're possibly looking at defeat. If you are challenged, you've just opened up all of your energy to possibility and creativity. Yeah. So you can still feel the same way. It can still feel like a struggle. It can, but challenge doesn't take struggle or fight out of it, but it's language and your brain does exactly what you tell it. Exactly. Your brain is like a computer. One zeros on off. Mm -hmm. You tell it you're in a fight. You tell people that people with Alzheimer's are less. No, they're not. They're just different. Right. Big difference in those words. It's, it's every word has a denotation. It's in the dictionary. It's the connotation and how it makes you feel that matters. So I don't want to survive. I want to thrive. Yeah. If Does you're fighting, you're how yeah. I feel. Maybe not. Does it change my reality? It will. Yes. Because if you're fighting, you're defending. And if yes. you're challenged, you look for solutions. Yes. 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 So the list goes on and on and on. And people will say, well, um, one of my hard rules was I wouldn't lie to my, I don't lie. So I wouldn't lie to my dad. What I would do is carefully choose my words, not to deceive, not to lie, mm-hmm. but to carefully choose them. And, and I think the greatest tool someone can have is finesse. Yep. Finesse with language and words. Mm-hmm. 
you can throw something at somebody. Yeah, you can throw something at somebody or you can put it on a pillow and hand it to them. They're still the way, getting the same thing. <laughs> if you're close to someone, like Don, like you're with your dad or with like your parents or, or mine, if you're close to someone and you lie to them, you don't think they're going to feel that? They feel it. Know it. I they can't lie. It. I couldn't lie. To, I can't lie to anybody. I my lie to mom, my I, I, you know, I'm going to see a, a big thought bubble over her head. She may not say it, but in the thought bubble is going to say bullshit. Absolutely. <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah. Absolutely. My dad was on a kind of like a, and with Alzheimer's, many people get in this like emotional loop. Loop. Yeah. They can't, get, they can't break the loop. And so my yes. dad would get on one about his parents. Where were his parents? Mm-hmm. Well, his parents. Yeah. And instead of saying, oh, they're dad, which I think somebody said to him once and he burst into tears. I said, you know, dad, let's think about that. I said, your dad would be 130. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? And he'd just go, oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't have to lie right. and say he was alive. My mom was out of the house for six weeks in the hospital and we didn't want to tell him how sick she was. He would say, where's mom? And I'd say, she's with the doctor. She'll be back soon. Yeah. That and was that 100% true. Yeah. true. And it yeah. is 100% true. That's he did right. not ask me for details and he relaxed. Exactly. I said, she's fine. That's great. And, and I, I do that with my mom. I'll say, I'll see you soon. I'm going to be, you know, mm-hmm. I'll see you soon. See you, see you in, some, in, a, in a few days or whatever, because a few yeah. days doesn't matter. But, you know, when it came to, to, I knew when she was on that loop when my stepdad died, who, you know, she used to tell me, when Georgie goes, I don't know, Susie. It's just they were, the, he's my best friend. I can't live without him. He's my best friend. And so... You know, he he did pass away before her, and she was on that loop that you know Groundhog's Day, and my brother kept saying, "Why do you keep telling her? Just just tell her he's at you know he'll be back later." And I said, "No, because I know she'll get it. It has to. Otherwise, she's tortured for the rest of her life." Mm-hmm. And so you know, it was hard. You know, and it it didn't take that long. It was a couple weeks, but you know, she would ask me. I had I had the memorial pamphlet that we had made, and I would say, she'd say, "Where's Georgie?" And I'd say, "Mommy, he passed away last week." What? Why didn't anyone tell mom we did? This is the memorial. Da 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 da. We you were there. This is what you said. And so finally, like about two weeks later, she said, "Asked me where's Georgie," and I said, "Mom," and she said, "He died." I said, "Yeah." And then she accepted it. Exactly. And then she, she felt that. Never yeah. asked me again. So she could accept it. Never yeah. asked me yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. It just takes an, an incredible amount of patience. And love. Well, and love. Like we're all running all over the place. Yep. Love conquers all. <laughs> and just would like leave everything behind. And I knew when I walked in that house, I was on their time. You're a good lady. You're good yes, guys are amazing. Mother. Thank you. You're a good so mother. You're a good daughter. You're a good human being. And I'm so happy we got to meet you. I'm so happy you agreed to be on our show. And yes. I wish you luck with your new show too, which yeah. I'll have to hear, watch, and listen to. We all need mm-hmm. to share. And, and absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Let everyone know. And and, and Trisha's. Don't forget her amazing award-winning book series, Comfort in Their Journey: A Meaningful Life, Peaceful Endings. And through the rabbit hole, where are those available? Trishlaub.com. Great. L A U B is in boy, not B. And we'll also have it on the on the show notes. And and you'll find it. You won't not find it because we'll we're gonna have it everywhere. And I want to thank Don for uh 
again, show number three, you pitched in and, and you're doing amazing. I'm doing my best. You're doing, doing great. <laughs> and I want to thank the audience for everybody coming here. And, and, you know, if you love us, share and download and subscribe, please. It's great. And so you can, we can change this conversation because it's very, very important. Yes. And um, like and we Trish, say, yeah, we, we hope to have you back soon someday. Well, and, uh, but in the meantime, you know, we love to say, say this at the end of every show. And that is love is powerful. Love is contagious and love conquers all. It's Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye everybody. Have a good one. Safe. Be kind. <laughs>